start working through the texts. And are we live now, Tyson? Video's going? Ish? Okay. Okay. All good. We'll just keep going. Okay. Those who are not elected will not and cannot truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved because they are not effectually drawn by the Father. They may even be called by the ministry of the Word and may receive some ordinary working of the Spirit without being saved. Much less can any be saved who do not receive the Christian religion, no matter how diligently they live their lives according to the light of nature and the teachings of the religion they profess. Okay, and before we start working through uh, the texts, maybe I'm oversensitive to this because it was such a hang-up for me, um, but I, I feel it's important to explain the first clause better. I had a perception when I started to encounter the theology of the Protestant Reformation, as expressed here, uh, that what you could have is people banging at the door of heaven, wishing that they were elect, but unfortunately for them, they were not. Okay? And I don't know how many of you have that perception or that struggle, but I want to assure you that is the case with absolutely no person who has ever lived. Okay? There's not been one person in the history of the universe that would like to be in the family of God who is not able to be. That's never happened. It can't happen. It's impossible. If you want to come in, that's proof that the work has started. Okay? So let's, however we understand this, and it's important to understand it because we're dealing with Scripture here, so we want to go where Scripture takes us. Um, and I don't know exactly where I got that perception from. I have some ideas. Uh, but I want to disabuse everyone of that notion if, if that's what you have. You have no cases of someone wanting to be in but unable to. And you also have no cases of people rejecting the gospel and then finding out and being frustrated when they get ushered into heaven, no, you were elect all along, even though you never believed in the Lord Jesus. Neither is possible. Okay? You are in the group you want to be in. Does that make sense? 100% of people are in the group they want to be in. Which part of it? Okay. So Jalen's asking about sheep and goats and being surprised. I, I would say what we often are surprised at is surprised at grace. Surprised at my conversion. Uh, I had coffee with someone recently, and you don't know this person, so don't start guessing. Um, but someone who had been through some very difficult circumstances, mostly because he sabotaged his own life. And by the grace of God, he's landed on his feet, and he's coming back to the faith that he was taught as a young man. And I watched a grown man crying, and so I don't know why God would do this. I honestly don't know why he would send his son to die for me. That's a kind of surprise, but it's not an unbelieving surprise. <laughs> right? It's a surprise that in his life he's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
That's the surprise. I don't think we'll be surprised at the final verdict. I think what we can be surprised at is grace. I did this, and God returns it with a softened heart, right? With, with employment, with beautiful children, with a marriage. That's surprising. I think we can be surprised in that way. But I, um, if I'm understanding correctly, what, what I'm wanting to get at here is that you won't have hardened unbelievers who, who died in unbelief finding out, oh, I'm in heaven all along. And you won't have sincere believers who want to be saved ending up at the gates of hell being surprised that their conversion wasn't genuine enough or they didn't weep enough tears or, or so forth. Yannicka and then Marina. Okay. I, I was actually just thinking that in my head. <laughs> okay. Those people... Um, I always look at what kind of a case are they making when they stand in front of God's judgment, right? They go, they go to the throne room of God, and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And this is important for all of us. Your answer should never, ever, ever start with the word I or me. That was their problem. Look at what I did. Look at what I did. I did this. I did this. I did this. They, well, yes, and I will grant that. Yes, they were surprised because they had false assurance that they did. But these were not true believers, uh, clearly. I mean, Jesus says they're not true believers. Um, so, yes, I will grant there is surprise in their, their fake works being uncovered. That, yes. What, what I want to show, though, is these are not people that are genuinely repentant who have come to the gospel. These are work-centered people who are trying to work their way into the kingdom. And yes, they do get a shock. But my perception and part of my difficulty with understanding the sovereignty of God and salvation was that I could be as sincere a believer as these people were not, but that you could have a sincere believer finding out that they were unelect. Maybe I'm the only person who thought that way. I don't know. But I did think that way. And that's not a category. These weren't sincere believers. These were, these were works righteousness people. Right? They were experienced peddlers. Um, Marina and then Howard. I think the alternative is exactly what Yannicka pointed out. I go to church... I help at the soup kitchen. I do nice things. I'm an upstanding citizen. Right? It's, it's about me. It's about my conduct, my moral behavior. People can deceive themselves into thinking that that's Christianity. Right? But that's not Christianity. Christianity is coming to Jesus in humble faith. Yeah. 
you know what the condition is. Yeah, and that's probably a good point. So they may be self-deceived, but it's self-deception. It's, they do know. If they uncover the layers of their self-deception, they know. The gospel's been presented to them. Yes. Okay, let's look at the texts here. Um, John 6, 44 and 45, and then 65. Who wants to take that? Keith? And then who wants to take 1 John 2, 24 and 25? Sean. Okay, go ahead. John 6, 44, 45, and 65. Okay. And then 65, yep. Okay, so Keith, do you see the drawing of God there? Yeah. And the word drawing um, here, some people have suggested, well, that's like a wooing. God's trying equally hard with everyone. He's trying to woo everybody. Um. And so in the final end, it still becomes about something that we add to the grace of God. Uh, with a, that our decision is not the fruit of regeneration, but the cause of regeneration. Uh, and I would say a couple things on that. Uh, first off, I think most importantly, is linguistically, the word drawing here can also be translated dragging. Okay? If you took a pail of water or a pail at a well and you dig it into the well, and then you draw it up, that's the kind of drawing, <laughs> okay? That's the same word. We're being drawn. God's got the rope. You're coming out, okay? You will be coming out. Um, so it's, it's an effectual drawing. It's a drawing that actually happens. It's not an attempted drawing. Further, then let's look experientially. Who grew up in a warm Christian home and was taught the gospel from a young age? Okay, that's many of us. Wonderful. Uh, just experientially... Was God trying just as hard to draw Adolf Hitler? Did he give Adolf Hitler just as many opportunities as you? Okay, and the Hitler examples are always easy. Uh, someone who has grown up in Islam and has never heard the gospel message, is God working on them just as hard as he did on you? Absolutely not. Okay, absolutely not. Just experientially, just do the math. Think about it. God's not trying equally. This isn't, you know, jam spread evenly across the whole loaf. God, God apportions grace as, uh, as he sees fit. Okay, so this isn't peanut butter that's spread evenly across the whole loaf. God uh, actually draws people. He actually gets in there and pulls them out of the pit. Very good example. Did I ever hear Jeremy's example? Okay. 
Jesus gives Judas a piece of bread as a symbol of Satan going into him. This is the scriptures. This is what was written. This is the way it's going, Judas. And he prevents that from happening to Peter. So even among the 12, it's not like Jesus is trying <laughs> to get the exact same outcome across the board. He's using each of them uh, differently. I know this is a hard teaching. And if it seems hard, um, then keep going here towards the end of chapter 6 where I find comfort. This is hard teaching, but let's keep going from verse uh, 66. After this, this hard teaching that we're just discussing, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Even Jesus thins out a crowd when he starts talking this way. Okay, so I, I grant this is hard. It's hard even for me to talk about this because it, it faces us with God means business. Um, but this is what scripture teaches. Okay, and so you don't have soft-hearted people who want to come that God holds back. If people want to come genuinely, as Howard says, they may deceive themselves. Uh, many people want the gift but not the giver. And that's, that's often a thing, okay? People say, well, what about all the seekers? What about all the seekers? What about all the seekers? Read Romans 3.11. Who are the seekers? Saved people are the seekers, okay? On our own, we don't seek after God. So God's not keeping anyone out of the kingdom ever that wants to come in. If you want to come in, it's a sign of grace. This drawing has already happened. It's already started on you. Jeremy. Yeah, and there's, there's lots of cause and effect passages like that. Acts 13, 48. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. It doesn't say all who believed were appointed to eternal life. The cause and effect is important here. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay? The cause is appointed to eternal life. The effect is believed. So again, if you believe, if you have a softened heart, you're not going to be kicked out. The, the, the gate will not get closed on you. Okay? It, it will not. It cannot. Lisa. Wonderful. <laughs> I got no problem with that. <laughs> <I'll t> Yeah, I, I, and I think that's important. Okay, so Lisa, if you didn't hear, Lisa's saying, what about kids who are scared of hell? Okay, let's think about this. Does Jesus go into great detail about hell to make us feel comfortable? 
or is an awful reverence the point? Okay? The awful reverence is the point. We should be scared of hell. We should take damnation seriously. We should take the outer darkness very seriously. And if that's what God uses to convert us, great. Hopefully it grows in, well, not hopefully, it will grow into more than that. It will grow into a love of Christ that we're drawn rather than repelled. But part of the drawing, I mean, a battery has a positive and a negative end, right? Magnet has a positive and negative end. Um, What repels us from the darkness, I mean, Vern just shared that in his testimony this morning. He sees where his unbelieving friends were going as a late teenager. Vern didn't want that, if I'm understanding Vern correctly, okay? But Vern has grown and matured into a love of Christ. But maybe it was good that he got scared by some of his friends' foolishness, okay? The beginning of the Lord, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I would agree with with Keith's comment. Uh, People in our, there used to be a church in Steinbeck. Does anyone remember uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames? It was a drama that used to be in Steinbeck, okay? And looking back, I actually know very little about the church that put it on, but I do remember that there was some criticism that, well, this is just scaring teenagers. And maybe we don't want an emotional response. It needs to be more than that, more than just a whipping up of teenager emotions. And yet, at the same time, can God convert people that way? Why would we say no? Why would we say no to that? That makes no sense. Okay? It makes no sense why we would rule that out. It's very good. Also, to that I'd add, who's noticed that we're going through the Gospel of Matthew Sunday mornings? Whoa! <laughs> we're we're going to have to pick up our game here. <laughs> How does Jesus preach? Is it all unicorns, sparkles, and butterflies? Is that the way the Son of Man preaches? How does the Son of Man preach? You brood of vipers, you snakes, outer darkness, the fire's not quenched, the worm doesn't die, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's how Jesus preaches. That's not all he preaches. What's that? That's right. (laughs) Okay? That's not all he preaches. He's not a one-trick pony, but that's part of what he preaches. And it depends who he's preaching to. He preaches that way to the proud, to the broken he switches gears and becomes very tender, right? To women caught in adultery, to, uh, to the downcast in society, he shifts gears. But to the religiously proud, there's lots of hellfire and brimstone language. Lots. Yes, it did. 
Jonathan, I, I've actually wanted to preach that sermon. Maybe I should ask permission before I do it. Uh, there's a wonderful rendition read by Max McLean of Jonathan Edwards' full sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I can't get through that sermon without crying. Uh, and people think because of that sermon, Jonathan Edwards was this angry hellfire preacher. He absolutely was not. You do a, a survey of his writing, and the word that comes to the surface the most is joy, and then is gladness. The, the Puritans were people of joy, but because of the way the Great Awakening got spurred on, people falsely assumed that they were nothing but hellfire and brimstone types, uh, and that's just manifestly false. But that sermon... Based on the small text in the Old Testament, their foot shall soon slip. And Jonathan Edwards paints this most dramatic, intense picture of people being dangled over the pit of hell by a spider's web, by a single strand. And what happens if your foot shall slip? And he talks, and in, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, God was pleased to use that sermon to start a fire in New England. Okay, people were pa women were passing out during that sermon. Men were crying. This was an outpouring of the Spirit of God through an earnest threat about the careless. And keep in mind, this is kind of two generations after the Puritans. Jonathan Edwards was the late one. Their grandchildren, the grandchildren of the people who started these colonies, these genuine, warm, evangelical believers, their grandchildren got lazy. They didn't want to work. They were delaying marriage. There was public drunkenness. There was sexual immorality. There was brothels on every street corner. Okay? These people were living well below what their grandparents should have rightfully expected them. The church of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield was incredibly lukewarm. In a word, it was today. <laughs> okay? Their grandparents would have been ashamed of them. And the churches could hardly say a word about any of it. And if, you'd, if you were a minister in the Church of England who said a word about this, you were sure to lose your license. That's why these guys were out preaching in fields, because they weren't allowed in the church buildings. Okay? Because their gospel was a little too hot and a little too edgy. Okay? And God sparked a revival with that sermon. I'd encourage you. It's on YouTube. Max McLean's reading of Jonathan Edwards' uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God wonderful sermon in the providence of God absolutely changed North American history forever. Okay. Let's read the next verse and then we'll bring it in for landing so at least we have a footnote here to call it on. Who had First John 2? Was that you, Sean? Okay, go ahead and read that, please. Okay, what do you see there, Sean? Yeah, yeah there's not dropouts here, is there? Nope, there's not dropouts. If you've been born again, you have eternal life. And I think I've shared this before, but just think about that. People ask, well, you know what, I, I'm going through a dry season in my life. Did I lose my salvation? So on and so forth. I'm going to ask you a question. 
for how long does eternal life last? Anyone willing to wager a guess here? How long does eternal life last? Huh. I hate disagreeing with my uncle, and I don't have to. <laughs> eternal life lasts eternally. Okay? If these people would ultimately be rejected by God after seven years or after eight years, did they have eternal life? No, they didn't. They had eight-year spiritual life, and then they dropped out. But God's promise, he, he dragged you out of the well. He drew you. He's not going to let you go. Okay? And many two-year-olds cross a busy street in a city after holding dad's hands and are very proud of themselves when they get to the other side that they held dad's hand and they got across safely. And that's not entirely wrong. But you know why they got across safely? Because dad held their hand. Yes, their hand was in dad's hand. Yes, that's true. But dad kept them safe. They didn't keep themselves safe. Okay? There is no such thing as a born-again person who is rejected by God. Cannot happen, has not happened, won't happen. Eternal life means eternal life. Okay? If you've been born again, you're born again. And yes, Christians go through dry seasons. Yes, we struggle. Yes, there's sinful seasons. Uh, but no one will fully and finally uh, be so hardened that God will reject them if you have received the root of salvation in you. That's not a category. Discussion on that. Bring it in for landing. Anything I've missed or misspoke? I'll have to ask Bern to come help me with chores this afternoon so he can let me know what I missed. <laughs> All right, then let's close in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you again for the way that you have worked in the lives of people in our midst, and not just these three, but so many. Lord, and I pray that we would look forward with anticipation to hearing uh, about the kindness that you have shown each one of us. Lord, and I pray that evangelism, I pray that gospel ministry would be contagious as we hear these stories, uh, and as we think about who else you may be drawing it to your kingdom. Lord, and we pray that you would use us in that process uh, to present the gospel, to show people uh, the light of your gospel, the light of your word, uh, and that they would both be repelled by the darkness and also drawn by the light. Lord, I pray that both would be the case for each one here, and I pray that that would be the case for our loved ones. Lord, and as we discuss uh, difficult things, as we discuss uh, the freedom of your grace, to go when and where and how you wish. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would receive this with gladness as something that is in your word um, and that whatever objections, whatever questions we have, that we would be diligent students of your word, uh, that we would pray for the light to shine on our Bible reading, on our discussion, on our thinking, uh, and ultimately that you would be glorified in our salvation from first to last. I commit the rest of this morning into your hands. Thank you for your kindness. And we pray that you would minister to us. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. And amen.